whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report, Inside Pharma. This is Dr. Lee for America, and I'm here today with our Inside Pharma expert, Hedley Reese, and his guest from the UK, Roger Meacock, who is a veterinarian, and MRCVS is his credential in the UK. And he has a warning for all of us about the dangers of the expansion of the mRNA technology ostensibly to vaccinate animals, many different animal species, but in, in most concerning um, expansion We are going to talk a lot today about the expansion of the mRNA technology and its toxicity into animals that are raised as our food supply because mRNA contamination of our food supply really poses an existential threat to both human and animal life. And they are, as I brought out in other programs, They're also expanding it to spraying the mRNA gene therapy technology onto plants, our food crops, such as spinach and other vegetables, claiming that it vaccinates against diseases that affect plants. You're going to hear that that is not accurate. For all of the reasons that we're going to talk about today, introducing this experimental gene therapy mRNA technology into animals as well as plants, especially those designed for the human food chain, exposes all of us in the food supply with a variety of complications and exposes us to a variety of known dangers. That includes not only us as humans, but it includes our pet animals who eat meat. It includes the zoo animals that are also carnivores, as well as as they expand it into the vegetable food supply. It means that whether you eat meat or not, vegans are going to also be exposed to the dangers of the mRNA technology and wild animals, all the way across the board. This is so staggering and so enormous that that we really need to be exploring it. And all of you listening need to understand the threat 
to your health, to the health of your families and and your pets and everything around you. It really extends to all life. So Headley, thank you for being with us today with your guest. And I'd really like for you to tell us from your, your expertise in pharmaceutical manufacturing standards, supply chain standards, quality and safety oversight, distribution issues, all of the things that you spent 40 years inside Big Pharma working with. Explain to us why that's another dimension of this threat that our veterinarian guest is going to talk about. And in the second half today, we'll talk about the question that comes up all the time, what about vaccine shedding? Veterinarians have known about that problem for decades, and people doctors seem to think it's a conspiracy theory. It's not. It's real. And we'll talk more about that in the second half. So, Hadley, thank you for, for being here, and thank you for bringing um, our veterinarian guest, Roger Meacock. Yeah, sure. Um yeah, it's a p- real pleasure to have an expert in this area uh, talking to us. And the proactivity that uh, Roger Meacock has shown in uh, raising this open letter of concern, which is co uh, uh, co-signed by some very influential people. Now, I did a, um, a technical due diligence exercise on a company manufacturing an- animal health products uh, in 2012, and I realized how important it is that the um, the water supply, anything that goes into anything uh, uh, that is potentially going to get into human systems, into the food system, has to be very carefully managed. And in, at that time, there was a lot of effort go, going into making sure that they did not contaminate anything because animals are so widely spread around the world. The other thing, of course, is that the regulations that govern the manufacture and distribution of animal health products are exactly the same as human products. So the rushed warp speed development program that happened with the human products, exactly the same issues will be there with these, uh, these animal vaccines. So uh, without further ado, I think Roger's got a really important uh, tale to tell. So I'll hand it over to him to explain, first of all, his his concerns. Well, we'll start with the point that Roger was making in the open letter that the concern really arises as a result of the United States authorizing the first veterinary mRNA particle type, they call it a vaccine, it's not, we'll talk about that, for pigs in the U.S. So with that beginning point, where where do we go from here and what is that product and what should people eating pork be aware of? Hi, yeah, thanks very much for, for having me on your on your show. Um, I was sort of first alerted to sort of the use of mRNA products in veterinary use um, just by seeing a lot of social media misinformation actually trying to talk about how the COVID jabs have been given to to 
you know, widespread to animals, and that's obviously not entirely true. So I did a search and I discovered, as you rightly say, this product called Sequivity in, um, in pigs in the US. And it's the only licensed proper veterinary mRNA product at the moment. Um, but I was horrified, A, to find out that it had been ongoing since 2018. And I hadn't really heard anything about it before then. And the other thing that really shocked me was that it isn't a licensed end product. It's effectively a licensed system. So what happens is, um, if you imagine a scenario where there's an outbreak of, uh, for example, swine flu on a pig farm. So the pigs will be swabbed. The swabs will be sent off to the laboratory. The pathogen will be identified, sequenced. Um, a gene of interest will be chosen. And then a protein will be chosen to um, make the mRNA product for um, and then that will be multiplied up and the mRNA so-called vaccine is then sent back to the farm and it's injected into the pigs. So that whole process from swab to going back into the pigs is eight to 12 weeks. So the speed with which the human mRNA products were brought to market is absolutely nothing compared with what they're already doing in the veterinary um, procedures. <clears throat> and so then my concern was, you know, we're seeing or hearing a lot about um, complications and adverse reactions in people. And I was wondering how much of that is due to the spike protein, because we know that's the danger part from, from the SARS-CoV-2, and how much of it is inherently dangerous from the mRNA products. And it became clear to me that there was actually inherent danger within the mRNA products themselves. Um, <clears throat> so fairly early on in the whole COVID situation, I'd been following um, a scientist called Dr. Kevin McCann, who is a sort of neuroscientist expert and specialized in prion diseases. And I saw um, him going over a paper where he spoke about how mRNA in the wrong situation can be um, prionergic itself. And for those people who don't know what a prion is, it's effectively an infectious protein. And what it does is when it when it gets transmitted to um, to the recipient, it causes proteins to misfold and sets off a bit like a domino cascade causes this, this protein folding primarily in the nervous system and in the UK we saw it in the 1990s with mad cow disease um, and of course we know it in um, people with Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease and we also know that when um, a few individuals in the UK who ate some of the beef from BSE cows they ended up with new variant CJD so there is already a history of transmissibility from cattle from our food into humans and um so that was that was one one area of of concern um so, train of thought well and the of course what americans may not know I mean, we've been trying to alert people to this, but so many people still don't know it, 
is that the mRNA technology has been called vaccines and used in the pork by pork producers in the U.S. since 2018. So the the pork supply has been contaminated with the mRNA shots in pigs for five years, and the public doesn't know that. It's quite alarming to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, I don't know quite how how it sort of managed to sneak under the radar, really, um, because obviously what we're concerned about if mRNA products start to be used a lot more within the veterinary industry and they're talking about bringing out new products. So the Australian government has talked about lumpy skin disease in cattle, but there's also talk about swapping existing vaccines, true vaccines, over to this new platform. And of course, with antimicrobial resistance being quite high on the World Health Organization One Health agenda, then you can see how mRNA technology might become more at the fore to try and replace antibiotic use. But then the other concern I had more recently, actually after I'd finished writing the letter, was the um, realization that when the plasmid DNA contamination was found in the COVID jabs, if that happens in, in the veterinary products as well, one of the genes in the plasmid DNA contamination actually spread antibiotic resistance. So if that were to suddenly go into the farm animals and not just into the animals, but then into their microbiome and then into the environment, you know, we're in a situation where antibiotics, we're already starting to run out of them. But if we're going to increase antimicrobial resistance and make it much more widespread, then, you know, we've got a, a danger not only to those people who are eating potentially contaminated meat, but we're also, you know, creating other problems in other directions with antimicrobial resistance. And that that is terrifying to think about, particularly as a physician, where I've already seen this be such a problem in human medicine. And to think about deliberately altering the genome and the microbiome of animals used for food, for our food supply, is is staggering in the dangers. I think your question at the beginning, is this technology an existential threat to the existence of animal and, and human life? I think you're absolutely right. I think it is. Yeah. And of course, the danger is if it goes, if, you know, we, the, the question is, we, I can't categorically say that the mRNA job jabs are going to cause prion diseases, but we, there is a, there is more evidence to suggest that it might than to say that it won't. Um, so, you know, we really need to be asking these questions and asking for the proper safety to be rolled out with proper testing, because one of the aspects that uh, I learned from Dr. Kevin McCann was that um, viral proteins can be prionogenic. So if they're randomly choosing viral proteins to make new mRNA products and they haven't tested it to see which they can't in eight to 12 weeks and they, and they haven't checked out to see whether it's prionogenic they've got no way of knowing and of course because a lot of animals going for slaughter have a relatively short life they may not manifest 
any symptoms prior to slaughter, but it won't necessarily mean that the meat hasn't got, or the blood hasn't got any contaminating prionogenic uh, material within it. Um, and whilst one meat, a meal might not cause somebody to, to get Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease, you know, if, if so many animals within the food chain are going to be injected with so many different products, then it, you know, you're playing a percentage game in terms of the likelihood of, of encountering a prionogenic um, substance multiple times, you know, is, is hugely increased. And of course, then you know if it go if if the you know if our pets get swapped over to 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 the mRNA jabs as well, obviously they will live long enough to show uh, the neurological symptoms, which would be very distressing for owners. Um, so I mean, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. And I've actually started re reading. Give Headley's book a plug. I've started reading his book last night, and um, he makes a very good distinction. That really hit me hard that how pharmaceuticals are either small molecule traditional uh, pharmaceuticals or these new class of biological uh, pharmaceuticals and because they're biological and because we understand biology so little if we're really totally honest about it once you start introducing biologicals into a biological system every time it's ever been done in the past has always created a disaster, whether it's been for ecological environmental purposes, and now it's gonna do the similar, you know, our body is just another ecological environment. So introducing novel biologicals into our system is just a disaster waiting for ha to happen. And the other aspect- quite I quite agree with you. Uh, Absolutely, in everything you've just said, let me bring up another aspect of the concern about the contamination of the animals with potential, with the viral proteins that, that can develop into prions, for example. What we're seeing in the natural medicine field, and we have for many years, I mean, I've done a lot of that work over my medical career because I've always integrated natural and prescription medications and supplements and nutraceuticals. But one of the concerns I have, so many people are taking these supplements that are manufactured from ground up animal parts, bovine glandulars, porcine glandulars, um, pig derived thyroid, and the um, glandulars for ovaries, testicles, adrenal glands, and thyroid that are created by grinding up cows, for example, that are sent to slaughter and using their body parts. In addition to that, another huge market in, in the natural medicine field is the whole push towards peptides and collagen peptides, for example. Every collagen peptide that I've looked into recommending for patients with, with a few exceptions has been bovine derived from ground up cattle that have gone to slaughter for the food supply. So Roger, if you're looking at, you, you said if people just eat a meal from a contaminated animal, one meal may not increase the risk of Jakob Kreutzfeld or Kreutzfeld Jakob, 
brain spongiform encephalopathy that destroys the brain and leads to rapidly progressing dementia for our listeners who don't know the term. But if you're taking collagen peptides every day, which are marketed to help skin, hair, and uh, uh, connective tissue, if you're taking that every day, you're getting a dose every day. If you're taking bovine-derived glandulars that have no regulatory oversight, you're getting dosing every day. You don't know the source of the animals. You don't know whether they were sick or not. You don't know whether they're using animals that were too sick to go into the food supply to put them in the supply to grind up and sell for other things. I'm being very blunt, but but this is a huge concern to me with the massive push that we're seeing and and the billions in the market of all of these supplements and people don't know what's in those either no i mean i think you know as you say the whole thing is so multifactorial and there are so many potential way or things subject uh, products that could end up being contaminated it's it's very difficult um I mean, the other uh, and one of the other aspects of the mRNA technology, which, you know, everybody talks or we've been told that the mRNA is just messenger RNA and all it does is transcribe, um, you know, from the from the nucleic acids to make a protein. But that isn't the only type of RNA in the body by a long chalk. And you've got much shorter chains called micro RNA, which are in very important in cell signaling and in cell regulation um, and they're typically very short peptide chains up to about 25 amino acids in length and what we don't know is what level of the mRNA if it's broken down how many micro RNA um, pathways are going to be affected we don't we know there's something like 5,000 micro RNAs in the body of which we only know what a handful do, but yet we do know that the body is very sensitive to them, both qualitatively and quantitatively. So in terms of whether they're there and how much they're there. So anything where we're introducing new mRNA into, or new RNA into the body, we have no idea how that all messes with. And you know, one of the reasons why I contacted Headley in the first place was because the quality control of the um, the COVID jabs was so poor. I think in the European um, Medicines Agency paperwork, it said that they checked, checked some batches and there was only 55% of the contents of, of some of the batches was, was, only, was what it was supposed to be, which means you've got 45% that you don't know what it is because by definition, it's contaminant mRNA and it could be anything. So even in a situation, assuming they could even work out whether a protein or viral protein chosen for a, a new mRNA veterinary product was safe, the fact that the quality control is so low, you are still going to risk bringing in mRNA uh, that you don't know what it's programming for and still be introducing prionogenic potential into food chain um because there's no way of knowing unless you've got a hundred percent quality control and you a hundred percent know what the mrna is going to do to all the micro rna 
and how you work out a network of 5,000 individual microRNAs. I don't think even artificial intelligence would have the capacity, computing capacity to work that out. And then you bring in individual human elements to that as well. We all don't react the same and the animals don't all react the same to every product. You know, the, the computation of of the possibilities is just beyond comprehension. And the dangers, unfortunately, I think are parallel to that. You are you are so right. You have really summarized um, in a nutshell the enormity of the problem that we're up against. And when you think about the fact that they are, and I say they, I'm really referring solely to the global elites that are deliberately designing a technology that is designed to be toxic. They know it. And they are deliberately pushing it in as many directions as they can. You look at the WEF, the heads of the the brainiacs or the the shall we say the the demonic brainiacs of the WHO and Bill Gates and uh, Gavi and people like um, all of these designers. We've got Ralph Barrick and Peter Daszak in the U.S. that were designing the gain of function studies at UNC. I mean, all the way around. These people have malevolent designs. They are couching it to the and presenting it to the public as, oh, we're here to save the world. This is good for you. And we're going to overcome antibiotic resistance, all of which is hogwash and propaganda and lies. Uh, comments on that. Yeah, I mean, it is all, all of the above. Um, you know, it's, if you put if you put your tinfoil hat on and you could uh, you could argue a scenario where they're trying to undermine food, animal food production to um, force people over to frankenmeat. Um, oh, course. Roger, that's not a tinfoil hat conspiracy. They are saying that openly. Bill Gates has said it. Bill Gates is buying up farmland. They've just shut down the Dutch farmers. They're absolutely, it's part of Agenda 2030. All anybody has to do is read their plan. You don't have to take my word for it. And I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. I'm reading what they have been saying for the last 50 years. All of this... The, the gene modification of the food supply uh, with that Monsanto has been doing for decades, the addition of soy food components in all of our processed foods that are endocrine disruptors. Soy is an endocrine disruptor. And we've got, this has been going on since I started medicine in the 70s. So no, this is not a, Absolutely not a conspiracy theory. And all of you listeners out there, there are wealth of resources showing this has been part of the plan. Reducing the food supply, depopulation. I've done multiple programs on the depopulation, depopulation agenda going back 100 years. So you're, you're right. It is a malevolent design and it is an absolute plan to contaminate the food supply, reduce the food supply, and reduce the population through starvation and death. Stalin did it with the starving the Ukraine people. Um, I mean, Mayo has done it. Mayo to Setong in China did it. And we see this happening. So 
I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, there's been also, you know, on the whole food issue, I think there's 20 countries, including India and Pakistan, have said they're not going to uh, export a lot of their produce anymore. I think rice is one of the big, big ones, which is no longer going to be um, exported from India. So, you know, how much of the population around the world relies on on rice for, for a staple part of their diet? So, you know, I think we've got some real food issues coming on down the track. Um, and a lot of the scientists, you know, at, at the ground level who aren't involved in 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 the bigger picture, you know, they're they're being suckered in by the, the promise that if their mRNA jab for lumpy skin disease in cattle or or sheep scab in in in, in sheep will suddenly you know sell worldwide for a fortune you know they're seeing the dollar signs in their eyes and you know the problem with reductionist medicine is we become better and better at looking at a very small part of what goes on and in doing so we seem to lose more and more sight of the bigger picture and of course the people involved at this level of production and, and research are very much focused in on the minutiae and they have absolutely lost sight of what they might be um, doing in the larger picture. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, my dad used to say to me, there's no point doing a job if you ruin 10 others at the same time. And, you know, unfortunately, they are very much in that line. Some of them unwittingly unwishing to do so, but whether it's intent or non-intent on, on their part, the end result is going to be they are messing with things they do not understand. And we do not understand DNA. We do not understand genetics. We do not understand the micro RNAs and all the other RNAs in the body. And there are experts in these fields um, who, who are calling out and like Headley is, um, you know, and people who are much more specialized than just medics and vets. Who, who are real experts in their own fields calling these things out and being suppressed. Um, and You're so right. And, and let's continue this discussion after the break because it is all by design that, that the deliberate interference with our creator's design of life and the DNA, the complexity of the body. You're absolutely right. This is all a malevolent attack on our creator's design of all life on the planet. This is Dr. Lee for America with the whistleblower report Inside Pharma, exposing the secrets and the lies and deception behind the pharmaceutical black box and the things you're not told. Check out our website, truthforhealth.org. And we will be right back after the break. Hello, everyone. This is Lieutenant Mark Bashaw, U.S. Army and legal grant recipient of the Truth for Health Foundation. I want to give a huge shout out to the Truth for Health Foundation for helping me and my family over the past year with our legal battles. Recently, I was court-martialed for not participating with these experimental COVID-19 emergency use authorized products. If it wasn't for Truth for Health Foundation and all the support, I would definitely be in a worse spot. But because of all the support, I'm able to continue uniform service, fighting for what's right, to protect the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. God bless each and every one of you, and God bless America. 
Welcome back to the second half of Inside Pharma, the whistleblower report from Truth for Health Foundation, www.truthforhealth.org, here to expose the lies and deception that can cost you your life. We want you to pay attention and learn from the experts that we have, particularly Roger Meacock, veterinarian from the UK today, and Hedley Reese career inside pharma expert on all of the manufacturing and quality and safety standards that should be followed and are not being in veterinary medicine or human medicine. So Roger, you were talking about the enormity of the interference with the complexity of biological systems with this expansion of the mRNA technology and the fact that We don't know what all of the mRNA codes for. We don't know how it affects the micro mRNA critical functions in the body. We know there is plasmid DNA contamination in them. We know that you mentioned as much as 45% contaminant mRNA in many batches. What What about, in addition, the toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles that provide the coding on the mRNA to get it into the cells. We don't hear a lot of people talking about that, but that is a critical part of the open letter warning that you wrote and a critical part of the work I've been trying to do in human medicine because they are toxic and inflammatory. So tell us about your concerns about the lipid nanoparticles that you put in the open letter to the authorities in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I was, again, luckily, when following Dr. Kevin McCann, he interviewed uh, Dr. Christy Grace, who's an expert on lipid nanoparticles and has worked in the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, she was explaining how inflammatory they are in themselves and how they can clump together in a number of different ways. And that clumping together can then help to block blood vessels and, and cause all sorts of of problems as well as being you know people get allergic to to the peg that's involved in in the lipid nanoparticles and so just multiple exposure and we don't just with humans don't just get them through through you know through through jabs they're, they're in lots of different products i'd imagine there there must be similarly in a lot of animal products that 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 get used around the place as well so you know the more you're exposed to something that you know has got the potential to cause an allergy the closer you move towards an anaphylactic reaction um and and so you know there is real danger from the lipid nanoparticles in themselves um simply in terms of how they clump their stability um you know that whole interaction with the mRNA because originally you know we were told the vaccines would have to be um, stored at very very low temperatures to maintain their stability but then that whole freezing and thawing process makes the lipid nanoparticles less stable themselves so you've got the two sides of that it's almost like a seesaw work, working against each other so if you try to make the lipid nanoparticles less dangerous by not freezing them so much and thawing them out so much but then you've got 
the mRNA becomes less stable because it's being kept warmer. But if you do the reverse, then you get the reverse dangers. So you've got you've got problems happening from either the mRNA or the lipid nanoparticles, although actually in reality it's to both. It's just a question of of how much to each. And, and I think the lipid nanoparticles are more dangerous because, and especially once you've got, you know, proteins which aren't attached to a whole virus, you know, though that they're small particles, they will go to parts of the body that a whole virus cannot go to, um, whereas single proteins and, and lipid nanoparticles can. So that's, I think, why we're seeing <clears throat> so many pathology reports of, of spike protein um, and mRNA being found in the brain tissue and potentially, I think there was one study recently where they said it, it could exist 50% of the people they looked at had mRNA 187 days after after they were jabbed. So, you know, we again, there's this whole question of, of how much is reversed into, um, into the genome and whether it can or whether it does. And yet we know that there are methods, processes within the body, transposons and reverse transcriptase processes where the mRNA can be reversed into the genome. So it's just it's just a disaster waiting to happen. And we're already seeing the disaster. I think um what and I think we've only seen you know the tip of the iceberg because so far we've seen you know the, the relatively fast um adverse reactions. There's a whole range which you know Headley will talk about I'm sure in terms of the medium and long-term adverse reactions which is why trials have been traditionally for 10 years plus so that you give time for those medium long-term adverse reactions to manifest because well, well Roger let me just add to what you're saying because I'm seeing it in my clinical practice I have an active medical practice I am seeing patients who got the shots the COVID shots in 2021 and I am seeing the progressive cognitive damage that I am sure is brain inflammation exactly for the reasons you just described. I don't have any question because some of these people are people I've followed as patients for 20 years, 25 years. They had no evidence of any cognitive impairment whatsoever until they got the COVID shots, and I'm just seeing it very widespread. We had more cancers diagnosed in the fall of 2022 in patients who did not have risk factors for cancer, didn't have family history of cancer in my practice than I'd seen in 20 years before that. So I, I think you're right. I don't think the disaster is waiting to happen. I think it's hitting us every day and as time goes on we're seeing the long-term effects or the medium i suppose this is medium time frame since it's only two years after they were launched but it's very frightening to see what the damage in, in the patients i'm treating yeah i mean it's coming from two from two different directions isn't it with the cancer because we know that there's well not three if you are good so You've got the P53 suppression, which right. is natural, um, you know, defense against cancer, because we all have cancer cells in us every day and our immune system copes with it. And the P53 system copes with it. And, and most, 
you know, for most people, most cancer just doesn't develop because we, we deal with it. So if you've got P53 system suppression and then you've got added inflammation, which we know is also you know, a major factor in, in, in cancers coming in from the lipid nanoparticles. And then, of course, they're increasing the electromagnetic radiation as well, which we also know suppresses immunity and also suppresses P53. You know, you've got a sort of perfect soup to just accelerate cancer from all sorts of different directions there. Um, plus, also, you know, you've got autoimmunity coming on down the line as well, because the other thing they haven't really checked out is how closely those proteins which they're choosing to, to, to manufacture correspond to naturally occurring proteins in the body. And I know, I think it was uh, Dr. Mike Eden very early on talked about syncytin-1 in the, in the uh, placenta being very close to the spike protein. So the antibodies for the spike protein would, would attack syncytin-1 in, 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 in the uh, placenta when we're seeing and hearing a lot about miscarriages and, and, and fertility problems. So, you know, that's just one protein, but I saw a paper where they were saying that there were similarities between up to 28 different proteins in the body to varying different degrees, including collagen and including actin and myosin. So wow. you've got, it's, it's, it is just, you know, once you, once you start looking and you start finding papers and, uh, and, and you just think, you know, where is it all going to stop? Uh, and of course, you know, it's all happening in younger and younger ages now. You know, you could see, you could argue, or you can see a situation where if, if the prion diseases get, certainly in the UK, become more common, then they're going to blame it on those people of us who ate beef in the 1990s. They're going to blame it back to BSE back then because Neil Ferguson was the same guy who modelled the BSE outbreak and said there was going to be so many deaths from new variant CJD, which so far hasn't happened, um, but you could see how that could become the scapegoat for new prion diseases now. And actually it's coming from, from mRNA jabs um, and, and other protein misfoldings. I mean, it's not just new variant CJD, you're getting increases in amyloid and, and there's new um, papers coming out from Kevin is very good at going over them about you know how how protein misfoldings can seed other protein misfoldings as well so it 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 just doesn't get any better no it it really doesn't and now i had not seen information about the effects on the actin and myosin explain to our listeners why that is so critically important of course collagen is used to make all the supporting structures in our body. So if the spike protein similarity to collagen creates the body to start attacking our own collagen, then obviously that explains hair loss and skin fragility and the supporting ligaments of the body breaking down. So that's a serious concern, but explain about actin and myosin and amyloid for our listeners. Okay, actin and myosin are two of the main proteins in muscle. So, you know, if you start producing antibodies against your own muscle, then, you know, there's going to be muscle wasting, muscle weakness. Um, and of course, the heart is a muscle. Um, so, you know, that's that. And, and collagen is, is, is a crucial part of, of, of all the connective tissue in our body. And I had a friend who said she could see 
who she could almost tell by looking at someone if she'd known them before whether they'd been jabbed or not because she said the skin was less had less tone to it. I think you're right. I, I think you're exactly right. In but I the piece I didn't know that was the similarity with actin and myosin, which was and when you and you said beautifully the concerns I had. I, I'm going to start looking at my patients and look, see if I can tell changes in body habitus, like appear to have less muscle or certainly the skin. You're, you're right. And as women get older, you begin to see and don't, and are not on uh, estrogen therapy, their skin gets more fragile and thinner because estradiol plays a major role in collagen production, skin integrity, blood flow to the skin and, and so on and the, the thickness of collagen under the skin and hyaluronic acid production that makes the skin look moist. So you can pretty much tell older women are not on hormones. Now I'll look at the other aspect of whether I can tell a difference in people I knew before they got jabbed and what they look like now. That may explain why so many um, patients are now um, saying I'm st starting to lose hair. Since, of course, they are not connecting it to the shot. Neither are their doctors. Their other doctors. Nobody wants to look at the fact that the shots are causing all this damage. They're calling everything long COVID instead of saying it's really the COVID shot inflammation and the lipid nanoparticle and spike protein combination. No, well, absolutely. I mean, going back to the, you know the veterinary aspects, obviously for our food production, the whole the whole breeding part of of, of veterinary practice or animal management is is hugely important um and when you know we're talking about just maybe think about it then you know when you're talking about the effects of of, of auto antibodies on uh, and hormonal disruption within pregnancy you know females are born with their full complement of eggs at birth and there's no right generate anymore so the impact that these jabs could have on female members of all species in terms of whether they are exposing female utero, you know, fetuses in utero to this technology, you know, is could have potentially massive implications for future um, fertility once once that fetus is developed, assuming that they get to birth and, and are then born. You know, that was the point. I, I heard Dr. Eden um, talking about that. In fact, I met him in July. 2021, after I had heard some of his interviews and seen some of the posts on Twitter earlier than that in the fall of 2020. And because I've worked in the field of climacteric medicine, which looks at the reproductive hormones effect on every organ system, not just reproduction, that's been my work for the last 38 years. All immediately, and as soon as he brought that up, I realized, and then the lipid nanoparticles being distributed to the ovaries and testicles in all the animal species from earlier pharma research studies, I knew right away that we were going to see massive damage. And that was what led me to have our foundation start the campaign in July 2021, Stop the Shot. Yeah. At a time when not many people, physicians in the U.S. were willing to speak out on that. But it was 
devastatingly damaging. And, and all of that has been borne out. All of his warnings and all of the warnings of other people have been borne out in all of the data worldwide in the heavily vaccinated countries. Yeah, I think, you know, as you say, that, you know, when you look at the worldwide figures, it's, you just have to look at the excess deaths, don't you? And you can work out which countries um, rolled out mass vaccination and which, and which didn't. And, you know, obviously we all eat food wherever we are and, you know, food gets imported and, and exported all around the world. So, you know, whilst I, my campaign started here in, you know, in the UK, um, Dr. Max Thornsbury, who is a head vet for with the largest independent cattle ranchers association, CAF, in, in the US, he's co-signed my letter. And, you know, this is something which vets around the world who are awake need to wake up to and equally put their regulatory body on notice in the same way that I have, um, whether it whether they then license a product, you know, you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt until, until they bring something onto the open market. But the fact that they have given me the undertaking that they will ensure that proper safety checks are, are performed, um, you know, if they don't, then we need to hold them to task because, you know, we get if we get it stopped in in veterinary medicine in in a couple of countries if if for example you know new zealand carries on with it you know new zealand lamb goes all around the world um so you know food is 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 shipped huge distances these days so you know we've got we've got to be aware of the dangers in all of the food production and you know we've we've got to look at it as a global issue that we all need to get involved with and stand up against because just sorting it out in one or two countries isn't necessarily going to solve the problem. No, it, it certainly won't. And, and I think that is an important warning and we certainly will. Um, I'd like to have you back and talk further about a lot of the, these topics in more detail, but I'd, I'd like you to, before we have to close today, I'd really like you to comment from the veterinary medicine perspective on vaccine shedding. What have you known about that in veterinary medicine for a long time? And why should we in human medicine take that seriously with the COVID shots? Yeah, I mean, I think um, dog kennel cough vaccines, intranasal kennel cough um, vaccines have been known to, to be shed for a good couple of weeks after they've been given um, and I, you know, I assumed that doctors realised that flu vaccine given to people did as well, because that seems to quite be quite a coincidence that when people are, are getting flu jabs, they, you know, their friends have been suddenly getting flu symptoms as well. So I'm I'm surprised that it's so un, relatively unknown, supposedly in, in the human field. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's it, it it absolutely can happen. Um, and there's, you know, you've got exosomes which are secreting and coming out through the sweat. Um, so, and, that, and they, you know, they move move things all around the body as well. So, yeah, the the idea that jabs stay in your arm. I mean, if somebody has one now as a child and lives to the eighty, they'd have a huge huge deltoid muscle if everything stays in the arm. <laughs> well, right. Uh, you know, the tragedy is that the Japanese commissioned the bio distribution study 
early on and that was suppressed that was su- totally suppressed because it remained in Japanese until the Canadian physician had it translated into English and brought that to the public's attention but that wasn't until after the shots had rolled out that we knew the biodistribution data was known a year earlier they commissioned that study in 2020 I, I you know as a I, I just the idea that a vaccine would ever stay in in the um, place where it had been injected to me was a complete anathema right from the very beginning because the whole point of giving like you know if, as a vet if we're giving antibiotics to a cow we inject it into into the gluteal muscle knowing that it's going to go cow wide you know, right. you know since since when did the lymphatic system stop and say oh we can't pick that up you know it, it's just the whole idea that it anything stays at the injection site only and doesn't go body-wide to me was it just a complete joke well it was a malevolent deception because the global powers that are designing this plan to destroy life as god designed it think we're stupid and well, I- they think they can get by with these lies and sadly a lot of Physicians in my in my profession certainly perpetuated the lies. I mean, they are going to be accountable uh, on Judgment Day if we don't hold them accountable in this world for the damage they've caused. They'll be accountable on Judgment Day. But you're right. I mean, how could anybody think that? It's so stupid. And, and you know, these people who are supposedly chief scientific officers or chief medical officers, you know, that if they don't know basic physiology, quite frankly, they shouldn't have been in the job. Um, but the really exactly. worrying aspect is, 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 you know, certainly from the UK, we've got a couple of our top supposed scientists who, who were going and calling the narrative are now going to get top jobs in the World Health Organization. And when you've got the International Health Regulations Amendments plus the World Health Organization Pandemic Treaty coming into play, then... You know, these are the people who seemingly don't understand science at all, who are going to be pushing all their regulations and decrees on the rest of the world. I think it's, you know, countries need to pull the plug on the World Health Organization ASAP. Well, I absolutely support you on that. I've been calling for all of us to stand against it and for the U.S. to withdraw. And the more people that speak out on this, the better chance we have of standing against this tyranny. Headley, I'm very grateful that you brought our guest today. Uh, this is, he is very knowledgeable and I would love to have him back. And, and in fact, we need to get you involved in some of our other seminars that we're doing. Uh, Roger, as the veterinary perspective is, is really important for people to understand both the way in which it's parallel to human medicine, but also the, the impact on our food supply. People really need to have, have more of your understanding uh, brought, brought out to the broader public. Yeah, no, only too happy to do that. I mean, the other thing that occurred to me, one of the reasons why sort of my unit, sort of that unique position of being a vet to, to go after the veterinary medicines directive really was the potential to you know people certainly in the UK they like to they like to think that they worry more about their animals than they do about themselves 
So, you know, if, if anything's going to wake them up, you know, the children being jabbed hasn't, maybe, maybe the animals being jabbed will. Um, so, you know, it puts, although I, I, I speak about the veterinary side of things, you know, there is obviously a parallel into other species. And whilst I'm not qualified to, to say categorically on the human front, you know, the, the parallels are obvious. Well, and that's why it's nice to have me as a people doctor and you as an animal doctor talk yeah. together because we can we can reinforce each other on basic mammalian physiology. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, these are basic principles that that I, in my mammalian physiology class in college, who did we study to understand human physiology well, but well, animals i mean if you if you if you're saying that that, that uh, you know there is no comparison between animals and, and humans then you've undermined the whole vivisection haven't you <laughs> well exactly right uh, the the things that are being said today are so ludicrous and it it we have to mock them for their stupidity but the problem is there is danger in that stupidity and in the danger is a threat to all of us. So thank you for helping us bring this to light today. I do seriously want to get you back. I want to talk with you about uh, some ideas I have on uh, collaboration and Headley, this is terrific. So thank you so much. And I know that for our listeners, Headley who has been doing weekly whistleblower reports with us is of September is moving to monthly programs with us because he is on a major deadline to finish his new book, a medical textbook on pharmaceutical uh, manufacturing and distribution supply chain issues. And so we want to support him having time to do that. The deadline is December to have that manuscript ready. So Headley, we'll see you back for an October program. And actually, you're welcome to bring Roger back, or what would really be interesting is if you could get um, Kevin McCarn, I believe you mentioned, or Dr. Grace to join us. That would be a fascinating um, program as well. So thank you both so much for today, and I will make sure that your whole open letter gets posted with the show notes. And for all of our listeners Whistleblower Reports can be heard on www.whistleblowerreports.org. All of the past shows are archived. New shows are posted there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Go to www.truthforhealth.org. Sign up for our email newsletters. Join our seminars that are advertised each week in our newsletter. Learn more about what you can do to combat the lies and deception and solutions to improve and expand your health and resilience in many ways, not just prescription medicines, but diet, lifestyle, and nutraceuticals. We have lots going on. Join us and help donate to support our fight for medical freedom and to preserve life. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back again with another Whistleblower Report.